Right, okay, Ooh, there we go. Start the new year right. Um, we're going to talk about over the next few weeks uh, the most important thing in the world, really, the most important thing in the world, and that's knowing Jesus, right? Knowing Jesus is the most important thing in the world. Like when you get it to, to the end of your life, you're not going to look back and, and worry about or think about, about all the things that you're worried about kind of in day-to-day life. Like, the only thing that's going to matter at that point is, do I know Jesus, and have I grown in knowing Jesus my whole life? And so we're going to begin tonight in this series called Growing and Knowing God, and we're going to talk tonight about why this is important, why this is important. And so you, it's arguable that, you know, you live in, in a time where you could be, like, the busiest generation ever, Right? If you think about it, like you, you have the chance to be so crazy busy. You have school and you have homework and you have family and you have friends. And some of you have sports and band and student council and whatever club you might be in. And you've got, even if like, you're like, I'm not involved in all those things. Well, you still have an opportunity to like be preoccupied with all kinds of stuff. Like it could be video games or your phone or just about whatever, like if you want to, from the second you're awake, from the second you go to sleep, you could be like focused on something, right? Something could have your attention at any moment. And the thing is, a lot of those things can be good. So I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not saying you should avoid those things. But what you have to consider is how do those things affect your relationship with Jesus? How is being so busy all the time and being preoccupied with so many things, how is that affecting your relationship with Jesus? And so if you think about like if you're playing a video game or if you're watching something on your phone and you hit pause, what happens? It stops. It momentarily, all the action, all that's going on like momentarily stops. And if you read the Bible with kind of that idea in mind, that idea of a pause, what you'll see is that there are people consistently throughout the Bible that are intentionally making time to be still and alone with God, to seek Him and know Him more, to seek Him and know Him more. So we're going to use some of that terminology over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about pausing, and here's the way that we're going to define that. So if I say pause, here's what I mean. I mean, seeking God in silence and solitude through prayer and Bible study. Seeking God in silence and solitude through prayer and Bible study. It's, it's a pause in all the busyness of our life. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is, why is this idea of, of pausing, why is this idea of seeking God and knowing Him more so important? And so think about these questions Why is it vital to seek God? Why is it so important to continue to get to know God deeper and more personally? Isn't enough to just believe in God? Isn't it enough to just love God or at least just love the idea of God? Why is it so critical to make the effort to continue to learn more about Him and more about His ways? And so we're going to answer all those questions tonight. We have Three main reasons why it's important to see God and know Him more. 
So if you're taking notes on the page, here's number one. Here's number one. God created us with relationship in mind. God created us with relationship in mind. All throughout the scriptures, we see evidence that God created us to know him and be in a relationship with him. And this even shows up in the first couple chapters of the Bible. And so if you look here, we've got Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 to 30. And so what has happened so far, you probably know that Genesis chapter 1 is like recording kind of the order in which God has created things. And he gets to the point where he's creating people on the sixth day. And and here's what it says. Read along with me. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall, have, you, shall, sorry, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every great plant for food, and it was so. All right, so now, in this passage, there are just two things that I want to point out, and they're actually pretty subtle things, and so let me show you. Um, and so what we have is in the first chapter of the Bible, God describes actually himself as relational. Look at verse 26. Look back at verse 26. God speaks to himself using kind of a peculiar yet it's intentional wording. So he says, let us make man, he's talking about mankind, not males, mankind in what? Let us make man in our image after our likeness, right? That's kind of funny wording. That'd be like if I was saying, hey, we're going to talk to you right now. And you're like, it's just you, right? And so a lot of times we're like, wait, why would God say, let's make man in our image? What's going on here? Well, throughout the Bible, we see God reveals himself as as three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the name that we give to that is the is the Trinity, right? And so what we see, even in the first chapter of the Bible, is that there is a relational existence that God has, right? God is relational with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that relationship has existed forever. And whenever he's creating man, he uses a relational imagery to, to create man. He says, we'll make man in our image after our likeness and not just to be you know he's not just creating us like relationally just in general like because you could say well yeah we're relational people like we have relationships no it's specifically to have a relationship with God because if you look in this chapter and this is kind of the second thing I want to point out from what we just read and and you might have wondered why like why are we reading this stuff about what you have to eat and how we made plants for you and all this stuff well You might not have noticed, but in that passage, we see God 
not only creating man and woman relationally, but he speaks to man and woman. And it's the only part of his creation that he speaks to. Did you notice that? When he's saying, hey, you have all this stuff and you're going to have dominion over it, it's, he's not just describing it, he's saying it to them. He's speaking to them. He is actively having a relationship with Adam and Eve, right? Um, that was verse 28. We see the same thing in 29. And over a dozen times in the first couple chapters of Genesis, we see God directly addressing Adam and Eve. And it's unique because he doesn't do this with the rest of his creation. It shows God created us to be in a relationship with him. There are a lot of other places in the Old Testament where we see God's desire for a relationship. If we look a little bit ahead in the book of Genesis, and this is on your sheet too, in Genesis 17, you see God, he's, he goes to speak to Abraham. And so in this moment, God is like reestablishing or reaffirming the covenant that he's making with Abraham. And Abraham falls on his face before God. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of Many nations, talking about all the people that are going to come from his line. And this is what he says. Look at it. Verse 7 to 8. And he says, I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. This promise, this covenant that I'm making, it's going to last forever. He says, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So not just for you, Abraham, but for all of your descendants. He says, I'll give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. He said, I'll be their God. And so if you're thinking, oh, that's great, but he's talking to Abraham, and he's talking about his descendants, and I'm not a descendant of Abraham, but you got to know that if you have faith in Christ, then the Bible teaches that you're grafted into that family line. And so that promise of God being their God is a promise to you by faith in Jesus that God will be your God and he wants that relationship with you as well. And we see that more than anything in, through Jesus, in the life of Jesus. And so here's the next verse we're going to look at, John 14, 6-7. John 14, 6-7, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had, what, known me, you would have, what, known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And so Jesus does a couple things here. First, he's making it clear that he's the only way to the Father, right? He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. You want eternal life, it's only through Jesus, but then he begins to say, hey, you can know God. If you know me, you're knowing the Father. Again, he's bringing up this idea of a relationship with God. Um, how many of you guys know what, uh, what this is? Anybody know what this is? What? What do you call it? A post hole digger. Yeah, y'all know what it used, it's used for. Yeah, it's a post hole digger, right? And so if you want to dig a hole and then be able to sink a post into it and usually, you know, fill it with concrete and hold up the post, 
you can use one of these things, right? It works great for it. And so what I want to show you is if you have a certain object, it's best used for how it was created for, right? And so if I wanted to use this to, um, I don't know, like eat some sushi. <laughs> I don't know why it like reminds me of chopsticks. So if I wanted to use this to eat sushi, how well would it work? Okay. Terribly well, right? Or if you went to the dentist and then the dentist walks in and he's like, all right, I'm ready to fix that cavity. And he pulls out this, right? <laughs> you might have a big problem, okay? When you try to use things for a purpose it's not intended to, it doesn't work very well. You want to dig a hole in the ground? This works great. You want to fix somebody's cavity? It doesn't work great. But here's the deal. You are created. God created you as a relational being. And not just to have a relationship with other people, to have a relationship with him, right? And if you try to live your life for any other purpose, it's not going to go well for you. You're created to know him. That's the most important thing about your life. And so if you start striving after all of these other things in life and devoting yourself to all these other things in life, if you devote yourself to anything other than Jesus, at best, it's going to disappoint you. And at worst, it's going to destroy you. Because you're trying to live a way that you were not intended to live. You're intended to know God and have a relationship with him. And so now number two. So that was we were created to, to know him. And then also number two, God expects us to grow closer to him. This is why it's important. God expects it of us to grow closer to him. And so all throughout the Bible, we see these instances where people are corrected or rebuked for not growing closer to God. And so I want you to think about it. I want you to think about um, maybe the three most important relationships in your life. Think about those people. Who are the three most important people to you? So maybe think about for me, like, would it be okay if I just decided to stop uh, knowing and continuing to know my wife? Would that be okay? Or what about for my kids? Would it be okay if I just thought, hey, you know what? I know them well enough. I don't need to keep, continue to know them, right? Would that be okay? Obviously not. That wouldn't be okay. Well, think about for you. Think about those people that you pictured in your mind. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's your parents, brothers, sisters, whatever it is. Like those really important relationships with you. How would they feel if you went to them and you said, hey, look, I think I know you well enough. I'm, I'm just going to not continue to know you anymore. Okay? Well, if that's true in our relationships with other people, that that's the obvious expectation that we would want to continue to know them and continue to have a relationship, it's more so true with God. Right? Think about what we say when we say, hey, look, you know what? I mean, I, I kind of know you a little bit, but I think I'm good. I'm not going to continue to know you more. Think about what that's saying to God. We obviously need to continue and grow. Let's take a look at this first, Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who he is, but here's what he says. Chapter 5, verse 11 to 14. He says, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain. Here's why. He's like, I want to tell you some stuff, but I can't because you have become dull of hearing. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. I mean, do you hear what he's saying? He goes, man, I wish there, there's stuff that I wish I could say. There's stuff I wish I could teach. By now, you should be teaching other people, but you're such a baby spiritually that you need people to tell you again and again and again the basic things of God. You should be growing. He says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's calling these people children spiritually. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So you can probably feel the frustration here of this author going, you should be so much farther along. And so just think about your life. Think about where you are spiritually. Think about how well you know God, how much you know about his word. And it's not for you to compare yourself to some great Bible teacher that you can think of. That's not the idea. It's just to maybe think, where should I be? With the access to all the resources I have, the access to teaching that I get, right? How much farther along should I be? If this author of Hebrews were talking to you, what would he be saying to you? So think about that. That's not the only place. Paul says it. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 2. He says just about the same thing. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. It's like these worldly people that they don't care about God much. He says as infants in Christ, calling them, again, babies. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready. So again, we got this other instance where you got a Bible author frustrated with people saying, you're not as far along as you should be. There is an expectation on you to grow in the faith, to know God more. And we even see it in the Old Testament. Look at this verse. It says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. And look what he says. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel, he's talking about the people of God. Israel does not know. My people do not understand. He's like, look, man, I've been a God to you. I have loved you. I've provided for you. And my people, they're just turning away from me. They don't want to know me. They don't love me. He's like, man, even an ox knows its owner. But my people don't know me. They don't understand. They just don't get it. There's this, uh, this disease called the Morchio syndrome. syndrome. Anybody ever heard of that? Morchio syndrome? It's kind of a, it's kind of a rare thing. Um, it's where somebody... Um, when they're born, they begin to grow and mature like normal. But whenever they get a couple years old, their body stops growing. And so their mind still works fine, and they still grow intellectually and all of that. It's just their body doesn't continue to grow. And so it's, it's kind of it's devastating on, on, for the parents, right? Because for all they know, right, all the signs are showing like, hey, my child's growing and, and is healthy in every way, but then eventually... They see that their child stops growing. And why is this a big deal? Like, you could say, well, what does it matter? Well, the big deal is the expectation of growth. That's why it's a big deal. That's why sometimes it would be hard for a parent, because they're expecting a lot more growth. They're expecting them to grow up like most people do. And so if you could think about that for us spiritually, 
right? And sometimes it seems like, you know, when we have students in the youth group, it, se- it seems like they're growing, right? Especially when they're in high school. Maybe they come to faith, and it seems like, you know, in, their, in this environment, and they're hearing teaching, and it seems like they're growing, but whenever maybe they get into college, and we see this all the time, they get into college, and, we, and they fall away from the faith. And so what we realize is that they weren't ever really growing in that way. They weren't maturing. That expectation that God has that we would know him more wasn't taking place in their life. And so just think about for you, like, how are you growing in the faith? How are you maturing? How are you knowing him more? Because he wants you to, and he expects you to. And then here's number three. Here's number three. As God's children, we ought to want to live like our father. As God's children, we ought to want to live like our father. So because he's our heavenly father, we're called to live according to his character and his ways. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this is like a crazy idea if you think about it. He's going, look, I want you to imitate God. I literally want you to be like him. I want you to pattern your life around him. And the motivation is because you are a child of his. Right? It's kind of crazy to think sometimes like, my, even my daughters, there are ways that they want to do things like me. They, they see their father and they want to be like their father. Well, even more so, when we think about God as our heavenly father, we should want to be like him because we're his children. And if this, thing, if this feels daunting to you, if you're like, the command here is imitate God, it shouldn't overwhelm you. It shouldn't make you feel crushed. If anything, it should encourage you. Because Paul is saying that you actually have an opportunity to, to be godly, right? If he's going to give you that command, then you've got the opportunity. It's available to you to be godly and grow in godliness, to imitate God, to be like him, and to grow in the ways that he is to let the Holy Spirit work in your life, let that fruit show, right? So let that be an encouragement to you. Don't let that feel overwhelming. And so we're going to ask ourselves, you know, do we want to be like our Heavenly Father? Are we making active steps to become more like Him? I don't know if you've heard of, of Gandhi, but he's, he's pretty famous. He was this um, kind of Indian uh, teacher and he wasn't a Christian, but he was asked about Jesus, and so he was pretty famous, his response. He, he says, oh yeah, I, I like Jesus. I like a lot about him. It's just I don't like his followers. They're so much unlike Jesus. And although overall that might not be true, might not be true of us, but we all know that there are times when that can be true, when we can be so unlike God in the ways that we act, in the ways that we think, in the ways that we speak, we can be so unlike him. But the heart of God is that you would be like him, that you would grow to be more like him, to be like your father. So um, thinking about these three things, I want you to consider now um, how you can begin to make some steps 
just as we start this new year, to consider the importance of knowing God, the importance of growing closer to Him, and being more like Him. And so I want to invite you just right now to, um, to bow your head and to close your eyes. Um, we're going to take a second to pray about this. And I know that this might be some... Um, this might be some information that you're familiar with. Maybe your whole life you've heard that you can have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you know that that's expected and that you should grow and that you should, you know, learn from the Bible and you should pray. And you know all these things, right? Well, Paul in Romans chapter 1, he talks about how that there are people that, that know the truth, but they suppress the truth. It's like this idea that they're just like shoving it down and they don't want to look at the truth. They don't want to think about the truth. They know it, but they just don't want to do anything with it. And I think that's true for a lot of us in here. I think that we know truths about God, but we just keep like trying to, to push it away or push it down and not really address it. And so I just want you right now, just kind of in a posture of prayer, just to consider how they, that might be true of you, and how you can now begin to take steps to know God. And so even, look, in your doubt, even in all of the distractions of everyday life, even if you are feeling um, temptation often and, and guilt for your mistakes, in all of those feelings, you can begin to seek God and experience the promise that he gives you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and here's the promise, and that he rewards those who seek him. That's his promise to you. That if you would seek after him through faith, if you would seek after him, he says he'll reward you. And what he's going to reward you with is the thing that you need most, and that's him. That's him. God, we thank you for your word. God, we know that you desire a, a relationship with us, and you just don't want it. You made the way for it to happen through Jesus. Jesus stepped out of heaven. He showed us what God is like, and he took our place on the cross. And so now through faith in him, we can know you, and so we're so thankful. And so I pray that we don't take that for granted. I pray that we realize how much worth there is in that and that we would want to grow closer to you day after day. And we can take those moments in our life, even though we've got so many things just kind of like, you know, trying to, trying to gain our attention. Would you help us to just hit pause on all those things and have that time alone with you so that we can know you. God, we pray this in Jesus' name.